you like to impact a billion lives? Welcome to our show, IID 2020, Impact Fireside Chat Series, where we invite thought leaders, futurists, innovators, to learn from them what is their approach of future. Today, I have invited an amazing guest, Bina Amanath. She is executive director at Deloitte AI Institute. She has successfully led HP, GE, Thomson Deuter, British Telecom. Oh, the list is too long, so I'll skip it. But in her pastime, she is CEO of Humans for AI Inc., which is very interesting. Let's talk to her and learn from her. But before I uh, ask her question, there is one very interesting thing I wanted to share. She is also recognized for her contribution by several organizations, including she is most influential woman in Bay Area. What a great pleasure to have you on our show, Veena. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Sanjeev. Thank you for having me as a guest on this amazing show. Sabina, before we jump to really a deeper question and complex question, I'm sure our audience will love to know a little bit about your background from where you come and how you got here. CTO of HP, that's like a big role. Thank you, Sanjeev. And uh, uh, I grew up in India, just like you, and uh, I'm very familiar with IIT. I've, uh, um, I studied in India and then I came here right when the startup boom, uh, uh, startups boom, the first wave of it was going down. Uh, my career journey has always been uh, focused on data and the different phases of um, uh, data. Uh, so I studied computer science, bachelor's and uh, master's in computer science, and I also got an MBA in finance. And so I uh, in, uh, work at the intersection of uh, technology and business. I, I, I am, you know, I'm not a geek for the sake of being a geek. I'm always interested in the value of how, how technology can make our lives better, how technology can make humanity better. So for me, it's been, uh, it's been a, an interesting career journey right from you know, studying about AI to now actually working with AI and using it all across all these different industries. To speak a little bit about my career journey, very typical, I uh, you know, started out as a SQL developer, DBA, you know, when I started it was you know, more of the era of SQL Server and Oracle, right? And then growing into, then came the phase of business intelligence and data warehousing, you know, uh, and then, you know, uh, machine learning and big data and data science, and now it's all about AI. So I have seen th this whole journey uh, of the technology itself growing, uh, but what kept my uh, career interesting was I was always curious about different industries. I was not ready to lock down into just one specific industry, right? Uh, so I worked in um, telecom at British Telecom. I worked in financial sector with Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, E-Trade. I worked at uh, startups like, uh, you, uh, you know, dot-com startups, which don't even exist anymore. You're in Silicon Valley, you better do, right? 
Yes, exactly. I, I came to the U.S. directly to the Silicon Valley and have been here for the uh, last over 20 years, right? Um, so the curiosity of learning about different industries, but always anchored in data, is, uh, is how my career path has shaped. Uh, so financial sector, industrial, uh, manufacturing, uh, big, uh, hardware, software. So looking at all the different um, uh, industries has given me a perspective. I look at this as my career mosaic, right? Bringing in all the different colors, but always anchored on data. So, uh, you know, that's a little bit about me. I also started a nonprofit, as you mentioned, um, uh, it's called Humans for AI. And this really, you know, came from a frustration that I had as I was uh, setting up uh, my first data science team, I realized that it was very homogenous, right? Uh, and uh, I, you know, I've always been a big advocate of getting more women into tech. Uh, having been the only woman at the table for a long, long time, I've been an advocate for it. But with AI, I re realized that we do need diversity at the table. And they, you know, I was getting invited to speak at a lot of events about diversity in AI or ethics in AI. And one of the uh, you know, fundamental ways to solve it is to get more diversity into AI. And when I say diversity, it doesn't mean just gender diversity, though that was how the frustration started. It's really about bringing in diversity of thought, right? Because when we are talking about encoding intelligence, you need intelligence from different aspects. Gender and race is, is a couple of the prominent ones, but you need people from different cultural backgrounds, different geographical backgrounds, different educational backgrounds. Unless and until you have diversity of thought, into uh, you know, into the teams that design and develop uh, AI, yep. I don't think we can reach the full potential of AI. So that's that was my reason for starting Humans for AI is to really make sure all humans can be part of the AI journey. Abina, uh, I have so many questions for you. I can't even tell you. So I don't know how we'll finish uh, in one hour. Uh, but before I jump to a uh, lot of other questions, so one question which is uh, constantly bothering me is, uh, so we saw, you and me saw evolution of internet and its profound impact on humanity. Every single corner, even the village farmer of Pune is today connected through this phone and able to see the, what's happening, even the weather to hundred other things he need, all the decision-making. Now you and me are seeing evolution of AI, which is not new. We all know this whole concept of AI is around for a very long time, but today we have compute power and infrastructure to use that intelligence we had for longest time. Question I have for you is, what you really see as the future and what are the areas, because there are a lot of chaos around AI. We talk about ethics of AI, we talk about policies we need to make. And uh, I, am, uh, I had a great conversation with Tom Khalil about uh, policy entrepreneurship. At, uh, he was advisor to Obama and Clinton. So where are we really heading? I'm really, for a lot of people, we are lost. And I lived in Silicon Valley for almost two decades. I really don't know. Where are we really heading? What are we really trying to solve here? Is it just self-driven car or is it more than that? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, uh, let me give you a little bit of uh, uh, 
perspective on how I think about AI, right? Uh, and uh, or technology broadly. Uh, uh, think about it as three parallel uh, streams of uh, uh, you know acceleration that's happening, and each one is accelerating as it, at its own pace. There is the core technology, right? Whether it's um, the next wave of quantum or deep learning, you know, the core technology is being developed in labs and academia, in think tanks right now. In parallel, there is a second one, which is really the applications of the technology. While the technology is not fully developed and fully matured, the applications of the technology, it's being used across different industries, across different functions. The applications of the technology, that's a second stream that's accelerating as well. And then there is a third one, which is really the consequences, right? Which is everything that you can, uh, of applying a technology that is still not fully mature in real life, there are the consequences associated with it, whether it is thinking through the ethics aspect, the risks associated with it, the um, policies that's needed, right? We are living in this crazy but interesting time where we have a lot happening at the same time. AI is just at the forefront of it, but I think we are, we've entered the era where from now on, you're going to see these three parallel streams, the core technology, the applications and the consequences. And that's why, you feel there's a lot of chaos and hype around it, which is re in reality, it is happening because none of these streams are fully mature and each one is growing at a different pace. Um, my vision for AI is really to think about AI as uh, augmented intelligence. How do we as humans become better? How do we work better? How do we live better with AI? That phone that you just showed me, right? I mean, it has, to some extent, made our life easier. Now we misuse it, and then there, you know you have to worry about screen time and social media and all the other aspects of it. But honestly, I remember a time when I used to actually, you know, when I was growing up in India, you have to go and ask somebody for directions, right? The corner panwala to get to the right house or the right location. And then came, you know, once internet, you know, it was, I used to print out the directions before I got into the car. Then came the GPS, right? And now, you know, now there is, you know, voice assisted systems that will just tell you the direction so you don't have to memorize. But Sanjeev, I don't know about you, but I'm gonna totally date myself. I remember a time when I used to memorize phone numbers and I had a little phone book in which I had every, you know, all my friends' names and their phone numbers. And then you had to worry about STD and ISD and all the different you know, ways that you could, uh, how it would be charged, right? So I think there, there are a lot of good things that's come, up, come to us, right? Not remembering directions, not remembering phone numbers gives us time and space to think about other things. Once we reach the full potential of AI, you know, think of AI as an arsenal in the human toolkit that we have, right, for us to help us focus on things that we want to do, on the creative side of things, on, you know, um, really, uh, re the other aspect I think about is really helping us reach our true potential, right? Who knew? I mean, I, can't, I cannot sing. <laughs> I've tried, but I cannot sing. But maybe, you know, if some of these tasks can be automated, then, 
you know, I could potentially invest more time into learning singing and it might be a whole new stream of singing voices because it doesn't match the traditional voice. But reality is, you know, even beyond AI, Sanjeev, uh, you know, yeah, I foresee I, I a future where someday you and I could be having this conversation that we're having over Zoom today, right now in some cafe in Delhi or in Bombay, maybe, uh, you know, uh, virtually, right? It's our virtual avatars sitting together and having coffee in a very beautiful place. And then, you know, we can see each other in 3D, right? I see the technology is going to take us to a place where, you know, it's going to eliminate distances. One last point on this is really, if we didn't have this, uh, if, if this pandemic, if this world that we are dealing with for the past eight, nine months, if this had happened 20 years ago, could you have imagined, I mean, you know, would we even have been able to do any work? Would we have been able to stay connected to our friends and family? Would we have been able to have this kind of life uh, even during a pandemic without technology? So I think, you know, I'm a big optimist for technology. I'm an AI optimist. I do think, you know, there's a lot of good that can come out of it, but I'm fully aware that you have to also worry about the risks and deal with the consequences of the, using the technology and build technology in a way that makes us better, right? So Dina, you are absolutely right. And uh, just like you, I am a believer of technology. And I personally believe, uh, so I jokingly say in a lot of my talks, uh, yes, we are going to outsource the job of thinking to computers. But as a human, we are explorers. We will, we have new frontiers to explore. We have to find problems. Actually, we already have so many problems which we have to solve. Let's talk about, especially the kind of problems pandemic has exposed. We yeah. try to isolate ourselves. Santa Clara lockdown, San Jose lockdown, uh, China lockdown, India lockdown, cities lockdown, countries lockdown. What was the really outcome? We kind of isolated ourselves. Yes, yeah. New Zealand was able to fix the problem for the New Zealand citizens. How about the rest of the world? And we yeah. think we are not connected, but you and me both know we live in the tech world. We are more connected than ever. There was a time when 1999, we had the Spanish flu and one third of the world population without even travel was wiped. This time, yes, there are a lot of people become the casualty and I do, I feel really bad for what happened. It is completely, uh, but it should be a wake up sign for all of us, especially the technologists, that how can we leverage technology to create early warning systems? We have warning system for tsunami, we have warning system for earthquake, but nothing about pandemic. It is so sad, I mean, when it started, first thing came to my mind is why can't we build a system to warn humans globally if something like this is happening? Now, there are a lot of geopolitical issues, there are a lot of other personal challenges, but can we create something which is more uh, not controlled by anyone? Because we always talk about large companies, big enterprises, and you and me work for all of those and they are doing amazing, brilliant work, but we don't want them to have a lot of data about us or we don't want them to have this or we don't want them to have this kind of data set. But 
if it is my life at a stake, my parents' life at a stake, if your life is at a stake, I'll be happy to give anything. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you raise a very valid point, Sanjeev. I think, uh, you know, this has been a wake-up call in more ways than one. Uh, but specifically from a data and AI perspective, I would say, you know, the need to collaborate on data has been highlighted, right? We, uh, a, a situation like a pandemic has to be solved at a global level. I do, I, I will, uh, I know there are a number of companies now looking at, you know, building systems to predict a pandemic, but, you know, how do you collaborate on data? I've always thought that, you know, just like we have the World Health Organization, our World uh, you know, Economic Forum, there will be an organization, maybe it's called the World Data Organization or World Technology Organization, which figures out, you know, how do you collaborate while respecting citizen rights, right? Um, so I think that, you know, we'll see a lot of good coming out of this, especially on the technology side, building systems to predict, but also be identifying ways to collaborate in a sensible uh, uh, way across the world. It's been a wake-up call for so many. So let's talk about it a little bit, Bina. Let's go a little bit deeper because you and me both love technology. We love AI and we know AI can solve a lot of phenomenal things and phenomenal problems, which we want to solve. And the uh, pandemic is a wake-up call. We both agree to that. And AI to work, we need better data set because if we don't have quality data set, AI cannot function. AI cannot deliver the results we want. So what will a global health alarm or health warning system look like? What it needs? What is the foundational work? First is, you know, identifying a, a, a way to say uh, to share data in a sensitive manner while respecting privacy, uh, while respecting the local rules and uh, be compliant uh, across different geographies, right? So an entity like a World Data Organization, which is what, what I just made up, is, uh, is something that can definitely drive it. So, and you know, I won't be surprised if something comes out of it. And then really you know, bringing in the technologists who can then be able to make sense of that data, use, build algorithms, build models that can help drive insights and drive those predictive factors. The challenge is it also needs to be driven at a global level because, and not at a single company or a single uh, entity or corporation sure. because you have to be able to look holistically and you need to be, you know, you have to step away from your corporate mindset and really think about humanity, right? And which is, which is really hard when you are bound by uh, just, um, uh, you know, the day-to-day uh, 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 or quarterly earnings, right? So being yeah, shareholder value creation. And uh, as a CEO of companies, and I ran companies in past, and I was involved in several companies, I know you have a fiduciary to the shareholder. We both understand that responsibility. And I agree with you that the infrastructure and system should be such that it is not uh, controlled by one person or one government. I understand that. But the question is, how do we build that? So is it at a, uh, we are talking of a system which is more peer-to-peer. -peer. So I control my data, you control your data, and we share whatever we want to share. 
and uh, limited ways and there is more like for example uh, uh, do we need an infrastructure almost like uh, bitcoins what are we talking here yeah, I, I knew you were going down the blockchain path because that just seems so obvious. But here, here is what, you know, given that I am talking to the IIT alumni and the IIT group, I mean, you guys are, you know, one of the smartest group here. So my challenge would be for this, this group to think through it, right? You and I can brainstorm and refer it. But really, I think it's bringing together the brightest minds in the world together, driven by a common passion to solve for this. Um, I think there's only so far we can go in, in a one-hour podcast, right? So uh, I, I think it's a challenge for a group like this, which is pretty globally spread, which is known for it, the brightest minds, uh, which has presence in different industries, which is different in different cultures. How do you take a group like this and make that the mission to really, uh, you know, solve for something big like this, which is impactful across all humanity? Completely agree with you, Bina. And you know what? It's funny. I have a question for you. Uh, do you have a challenge for us? So you already gave me a challenge. You already gave me what am I supposed to tell my team and all the audience. Yeah. But, uh, this is not just a challenge. This is an opportunity. And I had great conversation around the privacy of the data. In fact, I had wonderful conversation with the person named Chris Murray. Chris is a basic uh, founder of IMHE. I don't know if you know him or not. Uh, there is a book after him, One uh, Doctor for Seven Billion Patient. He coined the term global burden of disease. Phenomenal mm -hmm. guy. And uh, we did some work with IMHE, so I get to meet him and we had really wonderful conversation. Exactly what you are talking about is a global data initiative. So we definitely need global health data. Now we have to figure out a way how to do it, how to collaborate. Cool, that'll be a cool problem. I'm definitely going to bring it up in the conference and in all my talks going forward and asking people because one thing I've learned, Dina, we cannot wait for people to solve our problems. Yeah, the only uh, caveat I'll put in there is as we start looking at this uh, is to uh, bring in domain experts, make sure healthcare professionals are involved. You know, sometimes the technologists, well, most times technologists think they can solve everything and start towards, you know, rush towards building a solution without really bringing in the subject matter experts. And I think, you know, getting a doctor or a healthcare professional who has that experience, who understands healthcare is super important is to have those domain experts involved. So IIT will have to team up with some healthcare organization to get the, you know, to get the most impact and for it to be, you know, uh, to be mindful of the risks associated and mitigate this. When we ignore domain experts, we kind of, you know, we don't know the, all the nuances. So I look forward to this group, you know, coming back with some amazing solutions. Yeah, we have ministers and prime ministers of countries, so definitely we have the influence. But uh, I really appreciate uh, you are uh, challenging us. Uh, of course, we love challenges. We thrive in challenges. So uh, I have another question for you. Let's change the topic a little bit. You know, all there are so many major corporations have built phenomenal AI infrastructure uh, where a developer or where a high school kid can go and create solutions. So I baffle with this uh, thought of what is the future of entrepreneurship? 
And what is the future of large corporations? What do you think yeah, about? Yeah, <laughs> I think entrepreneurship is going to uh, really thrive. Um, it, you know, and it doesn't look. We tend to look at it very much from a technology lens. Uh, but given uh, what we've just we've been going through, right, the past few months, I think uh, we're going to see entrepreneurship come across not ju not just from technologists, right? There are much bigger challenges in the world, and um, technology will be a big part of the solution. But you know, solving for um, uh, solving for poverty, solving for inequality, solving for um, pandemic prediction, you know, the technology is a part of it, but there is going to be the need for uh, economists, uh, philosophers to be a, a part of these discussions as we solve some of these big challenges, right? Um, so uh, entrepreneurship is going to thrive, but I, I think we're going to see it a, a combination of technologists plus uh, domain experts. I'm a big believer in domain experts, especially in this case of AI. I definitely believe the, you know, data scientist was called one of the sexiest job of the century, but uh, the next sexiest job of the century is going to be uh, around, uh, either around ethics or around uh, the domain experts who understand technology. The reason I say that is, you know, as somebody with a computer science background, as somebody who has been in this space for a while, I think there's only so far I can go with AI unless and until I have a domain expert. If I'm trying to predict when a jet engine might fail by using data, yes, I will get to that first round, but you are going to need the domain expert, the aviation engineer to explain all the parameters, right? If we are building a healthcare system focused on patient care, you're going to need doctors as part of that equation, right? So I think entrepreneurship is going to be not just about technologists, it's about tying in closer with other fields. Look, we've all, always spoken about, you know, there's these quotes you hear, right? Every organization is a tech organization now. Every company is a tech company now. But the reality is, you know, the coolness of that has to go down because it is not just about technology. If we think every company is a tech company, that means empowering every employee in that company with technology so that they can come up with their own pro product ideas, right? The next wave of products are going to come from domain experts. The next wave of healthcare products will come from doctors and nurses and radiologists. The next wave of educational products will come from the teachers and educators. Right, and, and as technologists, we'll just have to accept the notion that it will have to be a partnership, right? Because all the easy product ideas around all these domains would have been done in the next five to 10 years. So if you're doing a, a startup around agriculture, you're going to need somebody who understands farming, right? Absolutely. You cannot do it in isolation because the easy problems to solve would have already been solved by technologists, right? So you need to solve complex problems and complex problems need subject matter expertise. So be prepared as technologists to team up more with other uh, experts in their fields, which in the past we found kind of, a, there's been a level of arrogance, right? That technologists can do everything. So for, you know, so, uh, you know entrepreneurship has to be about a combination with other fields.
Absolutely, Bina. And uh, domain expertise has always been a challenge. If you look at uh, all the successful Silicon Valley companies, without domain expert, you can't build any of those. It's like uh, we both know that. It's a complex problem to solve. So no, I'm, I completely echo with you and I need, uh, we need amazing, phenomenal domain expert to work and collaborate with us. In fact, uh, one of the key uh, statement what, when I'm talking to the people is the only way we can get out of the situation what we have in is when we can, we collaborate and co-invent the future. Mm -hmm. The future is not going to be just you and me. Future require a lot more collaboration at every level. And uh, that is the challenge we have today. In fact, uh, we are working with uh, 23 IITs in India today, uh, figuring out a way how these 23 IITs can join hands and provide better research capabilities, not only to students, industry, as well as they collaborate and provide best education possible to their students. We have yeah. close to 100,000 students in IITs today. And uh, mm -hmm. just for your reference, which may be interesting for you, in IIT Delhi, we have 3,600 PhD students. IIT Delhi has changed from my time to now. Today, IIT Delhi become really, truly a research institution. I remember my days, I mean, it's just so different. And the conversation I have with the director there is phenomenal work IITs have done. So you are absolutely right. Uh, we are open for collaboration. We are open for business. If you know anybody and you are interested or Deloitte is interested, we'll be happy to collaborate with you because we believe by collaboration, we can bring the ideas to life. We believe with the collaboration, we can build the future. That's a fact. But coming back to some of the ideas, because 40% of our audience are entrepreneurs. So no matter what, Dina, we both know this world is built, especially America is built by entrepreneurs. If you look back the history of America, uh, famous entrepreneurs built America. And I truly believe in American spirit. I truly believe this country, America is going to lead the world even in future. So question I have for you is, where do you really see clear opportunities? Where do you see the areas where our uh, audience can start thinking? Yeah. Problems, if you have any. Yeah. I'm sure you have too many of those. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're also uh, going to start seeing more of uh, uh, more around sustainability, climate change, solving for inequalities, solving for some of the largest problems we face throughout our lives. And, you know, there's been no solution for it, whether it is, you know, poverty and how do you drive uh, equal, uh, equality across, uh, uh, across different uh, diversity aspects. How do you uh, solve for cancer? How do you, uh, you know, make sure that we focus on wellness as opposed to illness, right? There has to be some systemic changes that need to be done, but there also needs to be more focus 
on driving advances in challenges which have been avoided so far because it's not an easy problem to solve, right? I think predicting for the pandemic is, is, is um, more well-defined and there's more urgency. But if you think about climate change and the challenges we are seeing around reducing carbon footprint, those are, you know, there's no one solution to it. And I don't think it's been fully solved for. So looking beyond uh, ourselves, looking at larger human race and see what uh, is plaguing us for, you know, forever. How do you solve for that? Um, and uh, it can be as simple as, you know, the, the challenges around uh, your local traffic to, you know, uh, to, uh, uh, looking at cures for some illnesses which just don't exist. But I think one way I also think about from an education perspective, since Sanjeev, you mentioned about the school, is really how do you make education accessible to people beyond, uh, you know, the uh, beyond uh, us, right? How do you make it accessible to the most remote areas? And which is where I also see an opportunity with AI, right? With ed AI education, it tends to be, you know, there's a lot of focus put on personalized education and making sure you're teaching uh, at the right level as a student needs. But I think there is an opportunity for us to make education uh, accessible to uh, really remote areas, right? Why should it matter which part of the world you're in? And, you know, the true power of it is maybe maybe there is a uh, is is a is a, a re, is an old woman 80 years old who has a solution for cancer in her head but she just hasn't been equipped with the right language the right framework the right education to bring it to the fore right I, it's locked in her brain forever right so how do you make education accessible to all which i do believe education is the basis for a lot of entrepreneurship a lot of advances that will come to us right so for me a big focus area beyond those larger problems i say I said is really making education accessible to every every human being in the world not just every child but every human being how do we make sure that the same level of access is available? Now, whether they take it and do something with it is different, but you know, at least the basic education should be available to all. No, completely, I agree with you. And education is one of my favorite, uh, in part, uh, uh, in terms of nonprofit, I mostly support education-based initiative because I truly believe we are product of our environment. I am here because I got phenomenal education. I believe my parents were very, very concerned about my education. They really pushed me hard. They really make me do things, of course, to get to this place. So completely agree with you. And access to education, access to infrastructure is always a very tricky thing. We both know that. But uh, you know, to expand the problem even bigger is what I find interesting is we are talking about hyper-personalized ad on the ad server in the retail store. We are talking about hyper-personalization and hyper-localization of everything, but we haven't done that in education. So we have to rethink our education as a system completely because our education is completely linear. We have to think because learning is not linear. Learning is non-linear. Like in last uh, 30, 45 minutes, I have learned so much 
And when I was looking at your profile, I was look, listening to some of the interviews you were being, I learned phenomenal things. So the problem, uh, Bina, is uh, how do we create a system which can provide personalized learning? Now, Khan Academy is doing a wonderful job. So is one of our dear friend, Carl Mehta from Adcast is doing a good job there. But this is a huge problem we both know. And that's mm-hmm. where we need people like you to help us define those, uh, at least some foundational work, some blueprints that, hey, it, let's start from these blueprints. This is the work has been already done. And let's lay it out and see, because it is going to be test and learn. There is no one size fit all. But we have to start on this journey. This is the conversation we are having on a daily basis from uh, the UC uh, chancellors to other universities in America, too. As you know, uh, a lot of IITians are in a very good position in different uh, institutions here, too. So, yeah, and that's what I'm doing with um, Humans for AI. It's obviously focused on really AI literacy. So it's uh, really because, you know, I think there's a big push that everybody needs to know programming, everybody needs to know coding. And I honestly think, think you, you don't need to know programming. Yes, computer science concepts that helps you think structurally in a way that helps you understand the machines that you're using, right? But programming has changed so much, right? I studied assembly language and COBOL and Pascal and don't use any of that now. I'm right? not going to ask but, you now. But, you know, AI is one of those because it is so infused into everything that you do. I think AI literacy is is basic need. I do think that needs to be done. And Humans for AI is really what we're trying to do is that because we, we see the need for domain experts to be part of the product development and design process in the future, how do we make sure those are more diverse humans, right? We cannot expect everybody to go and get a PhD in machine learning and become a data scientist, but a data scientist does not produce products on their own. They're surrounded by data engineers, software engineers, developer, testers, designers, QA, right? Project managers. If we can surround them with diversity, we can solve for the problem of getting more diversity into AI. And we're doing that through just providing basic AI literacy, right? Uh, With a focus on diverse humans. So I think, uh, you know, uh, I started with AI because I'm really worried, right, about the lack of diversity in AI. And I do think our AI systems will not be robust unless we bring that in. And AI literacy, the other reason it's important is because otherwise you get trapped into these hyped headlines uh, without really understanding what's real and what's not, right? And you cannot have a conversation on policy, which is still being shaped up, on rules and regulations, which is again still being developed. You cannot have an intelligent conversation on that unless you have basic AI literacy. And I think there is a big opportunity for us because as I said, all these streams are still developing. So the more human perspectives we can get into shaping these, I think there is an opportunity for us to shape it in a more robust way, in a more equal way, which is not just technologists shaping the rules and regulations around AI, or it's not just technologists and policymakers. How do you get the common person involved in this? And the basic That's fundamental kind of- building block is AI literacy. So how is it uh, going on and how can we participate in Humans for AI? 
Absolutely. So no, that, that, that would be great. I mean, you know, we have a website called humansforai.com. We run a number of programs. Uh, we actually uh, are working with IIT Bombay, but we have over here in the Bay Area, we have uh, a, a set up a foundation with UC Berkeley. And it's really, you know, the idea is to uh, uh, give scholarships to women and underrepresented minorities to study AI or to study data science at, a, at the university, right? So you're not just struck by, you know, the pool of applicants who come to you who may not be as diverse, right? So we want to do that with the universities across the world. We wow. are doing a student program, which is really high school students teaching middle schoolers and elementary school students from remote areas, right? So where we have a part, it's a, a group of uh, high schoolers from the US who are teaching uh, middle school and elementary school kids in Africa, right? So being able to tie that connection. And then we have another one which is really focused on, you know, which was supposed to be physical meetups uh, because to build out that local community but targeted by profession, right? So AI for nurses, AI for radiologists. They would take the basic concepts of AI and explain it in using examples from their field. So there are a number of ways, you know, and uh, if you have the ability, we, we would always appreciate donations, but your connections and uh, to help us take this AI literacy across the globe would be a really big help. No, no, definitely. And I'm on the board of an organization called Word Women Foundation. I'll connect you with the president, uh, Rupa Dash. She has done phenomenal work. I think she will be, uh, you will really enjoy having a conversation with her. She is really uh, working on the gender diversity and phenomenal work Word Women Foundation has done. You can look them up and I'll be happy to support any way I can personally. This is great initiative and uh, I believe uh, we should even think Dina to create curriculums for schools uh, because we are talking a lot about colleges training people and all I think the literacy should happen at the in the formidable years which is elementary school and middle school and that kind of awareness especially in Silicon Valley we have I think personally uh, people like you should see if uh, you can find a way to provide that infrastructure to elementary and middle school. There is a desire to learn. I talk to so many kids. There is so much curiosity they have. You started your conversation with curiosity. Actually, you stole my thunder. That's my favorite question. What role curiosity has played in your life? You already answered that, but I'll ask again a uh, little differently. We both agree that curiosity has played tremendous role in our life, but can it be taught? Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting question. Uh, yes, I think um, you know uh, a lot of it falls on the infrastructure around the uh, the child, uh, right? If he has to be taught from an early stage, right? The parents, the teachers, uh, the uh, peer network. A lot of it is just exposing to different experiences. Uh, and uh, uh, even as adults, you know, we, we have to accept the notion of lifelong learning, right? And what drives lifelong learning can be because your job demands it. But a lot of times, you know, the true success you see is when it's driven by curiosity. Let me, you know, let me find out more. Let me read more. 
And uh, we're going to, you know, it's not so much as a demand right now, but I think it's going to be one of those aspects which is going to be crucial uh, in the next uh, five to 10 years. You're going to see the need for curiosity and lifelong learning intertwined to an extent where, you know, you will have to develop that muscle. Um, uh, I think a lot of it is also, look, we sit, uh, I'm fully aware, we sit in a place of privilege. Right, so we can um, engage on conversations like this. We can talk about curiosity, and that's where understanding and fixing those foundational problems, where you know your economic needs are taken care of, your healthcare needs are taken care of. You don't have to worry about food, you know putting food on the table or where your next paycheck is coming from. Right, so not relevant to this audience, but really it is up to us to solve for those problems, to draw, enable curiosity and lifelong learning across, you know, beyond us, right? We have to be able to solve for that as technologists. Uh, Bina, I can't thank you enough for your time today and generosity and uh, the uh, thoughts you have shared with us. Uh, before I do closing, uh, is there anything you want to share, something keeps you up in the night? Um, yes, I, you know, I think the, yeah, and um, I spoke about this is, you know, the lack of diversity in um, AI. I think, uh, you know, we're building AI, we are in a rush to build AI solutions and putting it out there and learn on the run. I, I think there is a notion of build fast and fail fast and then learn. And unfortunately, when you scale it out in between those two steps, there is a bigger impact. So I think for us to think you know, really focus on that third aspect of the consequences, right, uh, of uh, the use of technology. I mean, uh, I, I think that really keeps me up at night on how to solve for it. How do we, uh, you know, infuse that notion of mindfulness as we build technology or AI? And when I say mindfulness is, you know, it's great as technology is for us. Uh, if you're solving for a problem, we, we are just focused on that problem. We know all the good things this technology can do, and we don't think, we're not mindful of all the ways this technology can be misused or the long-term health impacts, the long-term societal impacts of the technology that you're building, right? So my, what keeps me up at night is, how do I share this message to everybody who's in technology on you know, being, getting more mindful? Don't just think about all the good things that can come out of the technology you're building, but think of all the ways that this could go wrong and put in those guardrails in place early on. Because if you're smart enough to solve for a solution, you could also, you need to be smart enough to think about how that solution can be misused. So that's, that's a big thing that's on top of mind for me. Well, that's a pretty loaded one. Um, but uh, Bina, uh, being an IITian, will accept your challenge. Uh, I definitely will pass your message to all the audience we have and uh, share with them. I'm fully, uh, I, I'm passionate about education and diversity both uh, personally, and uh, it is important for people like you and me to at least, not at least, uh, we have to do something. We can't just wait for someone else to save us. So once again, thank you very much. Uh, these are the four things uh, I have learned today. One is application of AI is, is going to drive entrepreneurship, is going to create more opportunities. Uh, we have to think of ethics in AI. 
which is uh, very important. Uh, AI is not artificial intelligence. It is augmented intelligence. And uh, find ways so we can bring diversity in the workforce. How we can do that, there are several uh, areas we can work on together. And the last one is uh, sustainability. That is a big challenge we have in front of us. Uh, we are going to add 3 billion more people. So we are going to have 10 billion people very soon. Uh, if we don't prepare today, we will not be ready for them. Bina, once again, thank you for joining us today and supporting IIT alumni globally. I'm Sanjeev Goyal, conference chair of IIT2020.org, Pan IIT USA's mega virtual event. Please join us on December 4th and 5th. Our event is open to all. Once again, thank you very much.